Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Share your views using the hashtag 2019 election on Kaya. Talking from the heart. Today with John Perlman. John Kaya FM 95.9. Very good evening to Afropolitans. It is six minutes past six. That means that uh, there are 29 days, 12 hours and 54 minutes until the polls open. Time to talk elections on KFM 95.9. couple of questions on my mind. By the way, feel free, Afropolitans, to add to this agenda. But here's two questions. When people say they're not going to vote, maybe not even going to register, are they apathetic and apolitical? Or are they actually making a statement that we need to listen to a little bit more carefully? And with less than 30 days to go, what can parties still do to win you over? Or have you made up your mind? Talking from the heart. Today with John Perlman. John Perlman. Kaya FM 95.9. Looking forward to your calls on 86 00959 for text messages. Those cost 150. Follow me on Twitter where quite a few of you have posted some interesting comments. Please keep those coming. At John Perlman is where you'll find me. And you can also go to the Today with John Perlman Facebook page and post your comments there. 86 Let's welcome two guests. They're both in the studio, which is great. Tasneem Esop is a political analyst. She's at the Society, Work and Politics Institute at Wits University. Tasneem, welcome and thanks for your time. Thanks, John. Joining us as well is Pearl Pillay, who's managing director of something called Youth Lab. Pearl, nice to have you too. Thanks for having me, John. So, Paul, let me start with you in a tweet that you put out uh, in, a, in a string of tweets. By the way, what's your Twitter handle so I can share that? At Pearl Pillay. At Pearl Pillay. Okay, yep. great. Follow that. I'll put that up as well on my timeline, make it easy for you. But let me read this. My wish for elections this year is for every single young person to not show up. Register so they know you exist, but don't vote. Stop validating a system that has no desire to help you survive. Interesting that you're saying register, but don't vote. Why? Yep. So I think it's easy when people don't register to vote to be counted as those apathetic people that you talked about before. Um, And it's easy to get kind of lost in that crowd of people who didn't have the time to register or didn't know where to go. It's all of those different reasons. But if you actually register and then you don't show up to the poll, that's actually saying that, look, I took the time i did my civic duty and i registered to vote but i'm not interested in actually voting so the not voting says what in your view for me i think the not voting especially on the part of young people is a message to the ruling party and to all other political parties that the system is no longer one that works for us um whether it ever worked for us is something in question but it is something that we don't want to opt into anymore um that the kind of blackmail rhetoric around liberation politics and the obligation you have to vote because of that um doesn't work anymore and we have to have something more to vote for and if you don't give us that then we're not just going to vote for the sake of voting we're actually going to say look we're going to opt out until we get something better so just to conclude this particular strand of your argument because there's there's plenty more which we'll get into later when you say the system doesn't work are you saying representative democracy doesn't work or does it not work 
given the political parties we have that are playing in that space? Because they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're different. I accept they Absolutely. might be connected. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there is something to say about our electoral system. So the idea about um, representative democracy and proportional representation, um, it has its drawbacks, it has its strong points. Um, but I think that if we are to accept that that's the system we live under, then we have to demand better from party leaders, right? And so I think that we have a very big um, lack of leadership, of strong governance, of strong policies, and we should be able to say, look, if we're not going to change the electoral system, then we should at least be able to change those in it. So I'm silent. Twitter says, uh, making a statement in response to my question. I'm also one of those not voting because there is no point. And T4 says, I'm struggling to see the value of voting when we still vote along race lines instead of voting on issues of policy, service delivery and corruption. And Mandy has this view. I'm currently an emotional voter because to not vote doesn't make sense to me. I want to have a say. As pathetic as our government is, non-voters are just creating chaos in this chaotic country we live in. What do you think, Afropolitans? Give us a ring. 86 and 36959 if you want to send us a text. A text. Tasneem, how important is the size of the poll? Because one of the issues that I engage with the IEC on, I uh, don't expect them to remember this, every election, is that the figures for participation are given as the figure, the percentage of people who are registered to vote who came out to vote. My view is a much more valid figure if we to look at the state of our democracy, not necessarily its health, but just empirically, is the figure of how many people came out to vote who are South Africans eligible to vote 18 and over. What's your view on the size of the poll? How important is it and if so, why? Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with you, John. Um, so it's something that I've been going on about quite a bit this election, and I think people have raised it in relation to previous elections, is that we need to look at the number of people who turn out to vote in relation to the number of eligible voters. Yes. Um, and I think that's very important because it gives us a good gauge of how many people are disengaged from the electoral democratic process. And I say electoral because I want to narrow it, um, not to talk about democracy in general, because I think that's a bigger discussion, but to talk about elections and how many people are actually interested in the process of elections. Now, whether that's apathy, disillusionment, we can get into, but I think it's really important as a starting point that we look at it in relation to the total number of eligible voters, not just the people who register. When we, when we look after May 8th, the numbers will be counted out and so on. If the political party that wins has a mandate from less than half of the eligible voting population, C can they truly say they're representative or are there serious questions about that representativity? Well, I mean, I think I'm very hesitant to say it isn't representative because I think yes. that's the democratic and electoral system that we're working with now, which is counted in relation to registered voters and those who turn out. And there are, there are reasons for that, right? Um, so I think we need to dig deeper in terms of our analysis, but I think to just cast it off as illegitimate would yes. be a big mistake. Too simplistic. Yeah, too simplistic and also, you know, a, a bit dangerous in terms of how we... Uh, view a mandate from from voters and so on. So, Afropolitans, let me throw out the other question. I'd like to hear from people who may not be voting, uh, and if so, why you aren't voting, and you can tell us whether you're a, a non a, a person who's registered who's planning uh, not to vote, or whether you're a person who never registered. Um, 
Can you deregister? I don't think so. <laughs> Can you say, I am opting out of this? My, my legal right ought to be to deregister. I, I think that probably doesn't exist. But, but give us a call about that. And let's start exploring as well the other question because I do think they're related. Um, the second question I asked, which is about, are you still persuadable um, either to vote for somebody or to vote for somebody else or to vote when you th- thought you weren't going to vote or... Is there a possibility that in the next 30 days you will hear so much discordant and unproductive noise about the issues that aren't really the issues that having decided you were going to vote, you may decide, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to stay home, stay home in my disappointment and my distress and make a point. So what's on your mind? We're inside the 30 day mark uh, and I'd love to hear from you. So please do call. Emmanuel says not voting is actually making a statement, a statement which politicians tend to ignore. People have reached a point where they are tired of voting for people who promise them heaven and earth only to turn on them when they get into power. Is turning on you worse than forgetting you exist at all? That'd be interesting. Lerato, again, interesting. A number of people are saying this. They are making a statement, referring to the people who don't go out to vote. And Lipansula has this view. If you don't vote, then you have the right to become an observer on what happens with our administration. And add some suggestions. To appeal to young voters, parties can use social media and canvas at chill places like Shisanyamas. I suspect they're doing that already. Uh, to matured audience, they need to promise us retribution for those who created this mess which part of the mess retribution for the many hundreds of years of of mess that was apartheid to call it a mess is to understate it or you're talking about the the government of the last 25 years lipansula clarify that for us if you will either by facebook or give us a call and to old voters offer them protection uh bucky's has this view we can't just vote to keep some people in their positions we vote to see the results of our votes on what we voted for it's like we're giving them jobs yet we're unemployed so they must vote for themselves and we'll look for jobs ourselves what does lerato think calling from protea hi lerato hello hello i personally think that for me i'll be voting for change yes because i previously voted for the now current administration yes and i regret I regret because of what is currently happening, you know, the corruption and all of that. So I will be voting, yes. And I don't think people who stay away and not voting, they're doing themselves a favor. So rather, if you registered, go and vote, you know. Because when you're voting, you're like saying, okay, if something go wrong, I know that I was part of making this decision. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Lerato, with that view. Pearl, to what extent is the analysis that you, you've crafted, which has got lots of layers to it, based on the current set of political choices that we have, or is this a view that you could imagine yourself holding even if all of them, or at least five or six of them, were 10% better than they are now? I think they would need to be about 85% better <laughs> than they are now. Okay, that's, um, that's a very, <laughs> very low estimation. T- tell us why. I mean, why do you think they are all... I, I mean, a, there's a lot of disillusionment, but mm. yours is pretty profound. I mean, say more. Thanks. Um, so, for me, in the work that I do at, at Youth Lab, we interact with young people throughout the country that live in different kinds of circumstances, different levels of class, different socioeconomic issues. But the one thing that has united... Um, the voices of the people we've worked with is that there has been a failure of our government, of our party leadership, of our politicians to deliver the services that they've promised, to deliver the leadership that they've promised. And so for me, 
the idea of not having options is not as simple as we just don't know who to vote for. Yes. It speaks to a broad political system where our contestation of ideas is weak. Our opportunity to emerge in the political space is low. Um, and that's why we get left with 48 parties, but you can't choose one. Um, they're all, I mean, if you look through just their manifestos, right, they all look like different sides of the same coin. Really? And so, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've been doing um, is reading all of the manifestos of sure. all 48 parties and putting out some information on social media. Um, and a lot of the parties, I haven't seen lots of new ideas, mm. lots of interesting takes on different social issues. A lot of it is kind of the same rhetoric that we hear. And so the question that we then have is, if nothing's worked in the last 25 years, what do we have to believe and hold on to that it's going to work going forward? Uh, I mean, let's pick up on Pearl's point and get your view on that, Tasneem. I mean, looking through the manifestos, do they feel stale? Do they feel similar? Or have you seen some things that, that strike you as, as, as interesting and worth engaging with? So, I mean, the first thing about the manifestos is that I think the engagement with them is low and mm. we need to accept that not many people are going to read the manifestos. I actually feel sorry for Paul that she has to read all 48. <laughs> um, I've gone through just under 10 manifestos um, and I would say the one thing that holds for all of them is that they point to the to similar issues, right? Um, they, they can identify similar trends around unemployment, poverty, gender-based violence, etc., etc., right? But my problem with all of them is that very few or, or infrequently do they refer to structural solutions for the structural problems that we have, right? And I think that's been my big problem. But they do speak to very similar things. And in that sense, I agree with Paul when she says they're two sides of the same coin. So although they come from vaguely different positions, but they all want to address the same set of problems, but how they go about putting putting the solutions is the problem for me. So, so is that not a function of a, a political party saying, listen, we must address what is uppermost in the minds of the people we're trying to win over and whose vote we, we, we seek to secure. What's top of their mind? It would be unemployment. I'm, I'm not going to go through the list because you know probably know exactly what I'm going to say. Are you saying that they're not engaging with other issues that are equally important or are you saying their engagement is um, instead of being surgical it's it's what's the other what's the opposite of surgical it's just it's, it's band-aiding <laughs> if yeah. there's such a thing it's band-aiding they are not providing uh, alternatives or solutions and I think alternatives is perhaps the better word to use yes. um, and that they are really just taking what is known to be in the public and putting it in their manifestos without really telling us what they intend to do about it. And I think that that is a problem. Okay, Afropolitans, we're going to come back to the lines. Hupulang is on the line from Midrand. Let me just give you our, our two questions again. And by the way, please feel free to add your own. It may well be that we are marking the fact that we're inside the 30-day mark on the elections. Um, but not asking something that's top of mind for you. So to that degree, it is an open line. But two questions on my mind. The first is, can we say that people who don't vote uh, are simply being apathetic or is there a movement, uh, even if it's movements made up of many, many individuals sharing the same thought, who are saying, no, I'm, by not voting, I'm making a particular point and I want you to note my non-vote, not to say, oh, well, that person doesn't care. Uh, that's the first question on my mind. The second is, what do you think about what the parties are saying as we move into the home straight? 
Uh, and is your vote still up for grabs? I mean, are you hearing things that uh, you wish you hadn't heard? Are there things that you would like to hear more of that you haven't heard about at all? Uh, and can you still be persuaded either to change your vote or to confirm your vote for the party you thought you liked or to come out of that position where you're not, we're not planning to vote at all and say, oh, well, you know what, maybe. Let me give person X or party Y a chance. I'd love to hear from you. 86 Traffic, where we have less choice, but Nosipo will tell you what little choice you might have to avoid the worst. Talking from the heart. Today with John Perlman. John Perlman. Kaya FM 95.9. 24 minutes past six on Kaya FM 95.9. We're looking at a couple of issues around the elections. I would love to hear from people who are not going to vote uh, to tell us why, whether you've registered or not, uh, whether you voted in elections in the past or not. Share it with us. I'd love to see, test the waters, I suppose, and get a sense of how many people out there are not voting but with a strong purpose. Um, give us a ring. Hupulang is on the line from Midrand using this number, 086-00-0059. Hupulang, welcome. Uh, good evening, John, and your guests. Good evening. Um, I'd like to start off by saying that um, come May, I'll be voting, mm-hmm. and I know who I'm going to vote for. But um, secondly, I'd like to direct this um, at your guest, the poll. Um, poll. I don't think it's a good idea to say that the youth must um, register but not vote because sitting back is not the answer. Um, I think that for a lo- um, in the long term, I think the youth have to find a way on how to get themselves into parliament instead of relying on um, our elders, so to speak. So we need to somehow start our own party and say that we need um, the youth between 21 and 30, and we need like um, 50 of them minimum in parliament. So how are we going to achieve that? That's how we should start thinking. Sitting back and saying that we're not going to vote, will not get our voices heard, because we need to change South Africa for ourselves, for our future. We need to get ourselves in the legislation. Hupalang's raising a really interesting point about political tactics. And, and Pearl Pillay, just to reintroduce as managing director at Youth Lab, I'd love your view on that because if I understand what he's saying, if the youth can demonstrate statistically that they actually can be let's just call it king and queen makers um, because of the, 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 the electoral muscle that they bring. That could be linked to, to party platforms and say, okay, we will bring our numbers, but you are putting out a slate of 200 candidates. We want 75. Last, year, last time around, you gave us 20. Your thoughts on that? Because it's, it's a thought-through position from Hoopalang, mm-hmm. not just saying, well, you ought to vote because it's your duty. So I think there's two points to make there. The one is that... Um, it's already statistically shown that young people are the majority in this country, right? And so in terms of our voting power as a collective, we already have very, very large numbers. Um, But to the caller's point about sitting back and doing nothing and not voting, I think the assumption that a lot of people make is if you're not voting, it means you're not doing anything else either. And the assumption that the only way to make your voice heard as a citizen is through voting. And I think what we're seeing throughout the country, and it's not just around election time, but if you look at student movements, community movements, people are organizing outside of formal elections, right? They're making their voices heard, they're playing their part as active citizens just outside of the ballot box. And I think that's 
what's important in a democracy to know that your participation as a citizen is not just reduced to voting. It's not just voting. There are so many other things that you do. And of course, I assume the people that are not voting have no intention of just sitting back and doing nothing Mm. um, and just kind of complaining about the system. But I want to believe that those people are also plugged into alternative democracies and alternative ways of making your voices heard. And I think that's what's important because those are the things that call to attention leadership, right? So look at something like Fees Must Fall. Was students organizing outside of the system towards a certain issue? And many of those leaders are now on their list, on, on government, uh, party lists to go to parliament. And so I think to assume that active citizenry is just a function of voting is incorrect. I mean, Tasneem, your, your thoughts on what Hupolang was raising, because it seems to me that you can do both but you can also have a very specific strategy around an electoral moment, uh, which uh, absolutely doesn't mean you don't organize in your community for a youth center or for better treatment of young women in regards to reproductive health. But at an electoral moment, you come in and you say, listen, we bring to the table, maybe I'm, uh, I follow American politics too much, but we bring to the table X and we'll bring it to you, but we need Y and we need it Uh, Y squared, Y cubed, rather than Y, which is what we got last time. Yeah, I mean, I think the the political system unfortunately doesn't work that simply, right? Yes. Um, And young people aren't, or let's say youth within particular political parties, because I think that's the first step in your kind of framing here, right? Is that youth in political parties need to go to the leadership of their parties and start to really contest power there, right? And something that's been spoken about a lot, but unfortunately there's off Fortunately, there's a lot of different interests that are mediated in political parties, especially South African political parties. And that means that actually getting a youth constituency alone to do that becomes quite difficult. So I think the first is just to understand the nature of the political system and that it's quite difficult within political parties to do that, as much as some have tried from time to time. But I think just to pick up on this general conversation, right, is that when we narrow the idea of democratic participation to a discussion about elections is precisely why we have this kind of disillusionment with the democratic process is because we are isolating or excluding so much from this democracy yes right um that we we want to speak about elections and this becomes a heightened moment of of politics right but we need to speak about broadening democracy once more and i think that's that's important Oh eight six double zero double zero ninety five nine three six nine five nine. If you want to send us a text message, Kaya's on the line from Alberton. Good evening to you. Hello, John Perlin's name. Um, so I, I I agree with what I think Pearl said uh, that there's alternative ways and many other ways of of um, you know mobilizing and 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 making your voice heard within your community. Um, my one issue, my one beef is that um, our vote was not given to us. Um, we weren't born with a vote, or at least our parents weren't born with a, with, with a vote. Um, and they come from a very dark and, 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 and hard past. And I, I feel like, you know, for something that we fought so much for, um, I think it's, it's definitely our responsibility um, to show up, uh, make our voices heard through the ballot box, and, um, and 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 vote. I think it's a responsible thing to do. Um, you know, especially just as, as young people, to honour um, the struggle which was brought forward by, by our forefathers. We lost 
so much in order to have this this, this vote. And I, I feel like as much as I appreciate finding um, you know various ways of, yes. of 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 challenging how things have been done, but um, at, at, at its core, um, voting is important to just commemorate commemorate rather um, what's been done. Okay, thanks, Kai. I'm going to give Pearl a chance to respond to that because there's a couple of uh, people on Twitter making a similar point. I'll read that out as well. But what I want to just do is quickly break from this conversation, get a little bit of an update on a quite extraordinary story that appeared in the Sunday newspapers. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. The report alleged that more than 400 million rand in money stolen from Libya by the former leader of that country, the late uh, Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, had been stashed at our former president, Jacob Zuma's and Kandla home, and then had been moved to Swaziland. And to just give us uh, any updates on that and, and uh, uh, a sense of developments through the day, Juanita Hunter is political journalist at the Sunday Times and involved with that story. Juanita, welcome and thanks for giving us your time. Thanks, John, for having me. Uh, uh, What's happened today? I mean, it is is an absolutely extraordinary story. We've been trying to track people from other parts of the world because, for example, it was something that was dug in and around in the Panama Papers and and other international exposés. What's turned up today, if anything? Well, there has been a denial so far from uh, ANC, um, you know, head of international relations in Zulu and in Zulu yesterday, saying, you know, they don't... It's sort of it's a ghost story, but if you go closer to the to our to our story, and, and, and this again is something that we sort of really thoroughly investigated. Um, obviously, the Gaddafi money is something from 2011, um, and it almost seemed like an enigma for a very long time. No one knew what it was, where it was, how much it was, but it was always this lingering of the Gaddafi millions. But what really blew the lid on this story was the movements of money from Ankara yes. to um, uh, Iswatini, Swaziland, and that. That's where people, um, you know, security officials really um, sort of raised alarm bells on, 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 on you know, this, 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 this dodgy almost transportation of millions of, of, of dollars, um, you know, across across border. And um, this, you know, situation really was elevated to the highest level it could be with our head of state, President Ramaphosa, bringing this matter up with Kingdom Swati, um, and we, we detailed in our story last week that um, there was a conversation between between the pair over this this incident, and this was a follow up to a previous conversation they had previous uh, privately rather uh, when he travelled to Swatini when Ramaphosa travelled to Swatini on March the third. Yes. Now, this story, this story is significant for many reasons, uh, John. A because um, a former head of state may be implicated in money laundering. Two, maybe had had in possession of illegal funds, effectively, and um, and basically that now that the Libyans have been asking for this money, um, and we mentioned in our story that um, you know the the interest in. in in getting this money back uh, by the Libyans is because Gaddafi's son is trying to run for elections. Right. Or, or there has been this suspicion that he's, he's been punted to run for elections with a UN supervised vote later this year. And so now, you know, it puts South Africa in a very tight position, number one. And at the same time, the Americans have let, raised some concern um, with, with our uh, um, you know, agencies to say, why is 
so much of money in U.S. dollars. So obviously, when, when a large amount of U.S. dollars is, is, is transported across border, they obviously pick up, uh, you know, signals on their side, and they want to know where this money was. And that's when we were reliably informed um, that the, the money was traced back to Libya into, you know, from that money that was given to um, uh, former President Zuma by Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. Many thanks, Quanita Hunter. Just updating us, there was a story we want to do, devote at least some of the show today, and we'll keep chasing it. It, it is uh, truly fascinating. Now, back to our discussion about the elections, about non-voting, about other stuff related to that. And Musi adds a layer, I guess, to uh, the previous caller who was saying that we need to honour the people who fought and, and suffered and in some instances died for the opportunity to vote in a democracy. And Musi Pearl Pillay adds this on Twitter and says... Non-voting is an insult to many who died for our freedom. Uh, You've heard the argument before. You have a different view. Share it with us. So voting wasn't the only thing people died for, right? The liberation struggle was a struggle to give people dignity, to give people freedom, socioeconomic rights, land, health, education, all of those fancy things that's supposed to come with a democracy. So what happens when you don't have those things? Right? Yes. Do you still opt in because it's an exercise in memory? Or do you say, look, we can honor you in other ways? So people keep talking about how important voting is. And my fear is when you take voting and you say it's an exercise in memory, we must vote to honor people, I think we miss the point of the vote, right? The vote is not a thank you card. The vote is this is how we want our country to look. These are the ideas we stand by. These are the leaders we stand by. And so you have to vote for something more than just memory. And whilst obviously, you know, we don't downplay the role the vote has had and how hard it was fought for, but I think 25 years on, when you sit with a youth population that has the highest unemployment rate in the world, I think we need to demand better than memory. 86 Neo's in Sibukeng. Hi, Neo. Hi, Tate John. Good evening. Welcome. I believe you're not going to vote. Tate John, I am not going to vote. Okay. The reason why I am not going to vote in Tate John is because of the first time when I voted, my aspirations were seeing this country working towards the benefit of everyone progressing in it. Right. But looking at the current leadership in Tatejon, uh, our leaders, they are failing us decimally, which is the people we look up to. And then secondly, these parties, all of them, for me, same thing, same story. None of them are talking about trying to, to, to improve the structures of the country or, 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 or to save the country where it is. Instead, we see all of them making their pockets big. Okay, thanks. Uh, I mean, Tasneem, you, you, you could say, okay, I want to get my message across to the political parties, to the uh, ruling political establishment, and I don't just by that mean the ruling party, but, but everybody who's taking part in this democracy. But there are people who look at parties and see messages from them that suggest to them that they are committed to fundamental change. So 
since we're talking about young people, the economic freedom fighters appear to have attracted a lot of interest there. There are people perhaps older but also younger in the ANC fold who see in the new leadership in the ANC something different to the leadership offered by President Jacob Zuma. And I could go on. The Democratic Alliance has its pitch that says fundamentally we're going to do this differently. And then we can go to parties which have not yet found a seat in the House, the Socialist Workers Revolutionary Party. I haven't looked closely at what they have to say. There are a lot of people out there who are out there voting, believe they're voting for some of the reasons of making a statement that Pearl's described, but they're doing it differently. Is Are they, are they wrong or are they just taking a different path? No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's perfectly fine for people to see themselves represented in political parties and then vote for those political parties, yes. right? I think the problem is when you have political parties but you don't feel represented by those political parties and you don't feel that they will make a change. Yes. I think that's the discussion we're kind of having today, right? The fact that there are millions of people who feel represented by the ANC, by the Democratic Alliance, by the EFF and so on and so forth is is fine. That's that's fine, right? We're looking at why why there's such a high number of people who don't feel represented. And as Paul says, even though we have 48 political parties, right, what does that mean? What does it mean to have those parties and not feel represented by them? What does it mean to think that the DA or EFF won't change anything, for example? So, so the question I'm going to ask, we're coming to a break, but, but really is this, are there people who in effect are making a statement but don't know they are? They think, oh, I'm at home, I'm fed up, I'm sick of all of this and I'm disillusioned. And what's the political process of getting them to actually consider that what they're doing is saying something? And I don't just mean that as a change of mindset, but maybe as a first step towards getting them to see themselves as having a political agency that they never perhaps considered they did. I will try and figure that out myself during the break, but not until we've got the traffic. Here's Nosipo. Talking from the heart. Today with John Perlman. John Perlman. Kaya FM 95.9. We're talking about elections. We're talking about not voting. Also taking in the fact that the election's now less than 30 days away. So you may want to comment on the election in general. And I'm taking calls on 86 00 Vui, still park. Hi. Hi, John. How are you? I'm fine. Vui, you? I'm well, thank you. I am going to be voting. Yeah, huh? Yes. And I think people, what we, we have done, we sort of like underestimated the power of actually having that vote. I'm hearing a lot of people that are saying that they're not going to vote and everything. But how many parties in the past 25 years have we given a chance for us to make a decision that no political party will work for us? So I think the point of democracy is to change, is to give each and everyone a chance so that you can make a decision at the end of the day. Thanks, Vui. Now, Tasneem Esop, um, let me try and put my rather uh, cobbled question before the break in slightly crisper language. So somebody's not voting because they're fundamentally dissatisfied. Let's call it disillusioned. There is the potential within that to say to them, you're not just unhappy, but you're actually making a positive choice, which could be a bridge into becoming an activist for better treatment in the place where you work or whatever. You, you can be a young person with agency, um, but it doesn't have to be only at the ballot box. How do we make that step? I mean, I, I'd like to think this conversation is uh, at least a little bit of a step, but I'm not uh, uh, deluded enough to think, oh, well, I was listening to Kai FM and now I'm going to go out and change 
my immediate world. But how do you turn a moment into something resembling a movement? It's a, it's a challenge we face all the time. Yeah, it's a big challenge. I think the first thing is that conversations like this are important, right? They do uh, change the way we discuss okay. democracy and electoral politics. And what it does is it takes us away from the very... I'm going to call them liberal conversations that we end up having about elections where we just take for granted that the basics are covered, that we all believe in this, that we all find right. that, you know, so this puts on the table that contestation. And I think it forces us, you know, I'm, I'm a researcher, for example, it forces us to go and do that work, right? It forces us to bring out that more and more into the public. And it will also allow people the space to give, to, to put their opinions on the table about this, right? And I think that that's important. Around building movements, I mean, so I think that many people are engaged in movements and in different organizations, uh, regardless of the form. They're not only strictly political, right? And I so, think that so church groups, community. Yeah after-school education programs, etc. Exactly, and right. we need to start reading politics onto those yes. also, right? Yes, um, But I mean, I think that this is something that is going to come out more and more and something that we have to put on the table more and more. And I think that's, that's important. And to acknowledge those different ways of giving life to political activity, acknowledge the different ways in which people engage, and that people are going to have to start kicking the door open in terms of what is considered democratic participation and how they participate in this democracy, right? Yeah, it's fascinating what you're opening up. And now I'm looking at the clock and thinking, how do we get into this? But we'll do it another time. But it seems to me what you're saying as well is that if you were to say these, all these other things are political as well. Um, the organization that we formed to get a particular drain fixed because kids are playing there and, and, and they're in danger of getting seriously hurt. is to also use that to say to politicians, hang on a bit, don't think just because we've come and made an X, we're done with you. Is this a way of also getting more accountable, uh, a greater accountability from people who are elected in a democratic process, whether you took part or not? Because some people say, if you didn't vote, you can't complain. Now, clearly, you two don't think that. Um, uh, Pearl is uh, rolling back in her chairs if she's just been kicked in the shins. But I'll give her a chance. In a but but is, is that also a path to us getting better as a society at doing that, at saying, hang on, forget about the elections, it's now and we want to know where that clinic is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that as much as there's com complexities to this, but we must acknowledge that people are on the streets every day doing this. Right? Yes. When you talk about South Africa being a country of protest, this is what many people are protesting for. Now, yes, there's the ANC dynamic, there's the politicking and factionalism involved in community protest. But there's also a lot of people who are actually taking to the streets all the time saying we demand more, we demand better, we demand less uh, less corruption, more accountability and so on. So I think we need to acknowledge those kind of things. I will just say, with Pearl rolling back in her chair, that I think it's really good that this election, we've heard a lot less of that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you don't vote, so you can't yes, complain. Yes. I think that's, it's good that we've shifted from that a little bit. Yeah. So, so Pearl, let me bring you in here and, and, and ask you this. I mean, the fact that we have a lot of protests doesn't mean we have a lot of people protesting. I know there is to some degree an empirical link. Obviously, there'd be, you'd have to have the numbers. But isn't it a fact that actually most people feel disempowered um, and the fact that things flare up, does, it doesn't take a lot of people mm. to, to create a moment. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean there are a lot of people involved. And I'm wondering if we might overestimate the energy in the society, which doesn't mean it's not latent, 
but I'm not convinced it's as much at the surface as, as you're suggesting. I agree. I think that there is a very large sense of hopelessness yes. that many, especially young people, have. The idea that even if we protest, unless we burn down a building or burn a tire or do something that's going to you know, spark drama, we're not going to be heard. And so when you are in a situation like that where you feel like you don't have an avenue to raise your voice except through you know, a, a, a protest of a certain kind, you leave people with a big sense of hopelessness. Yes. And so as much as, yeah, you know, we have a very strong protest culture, um, you know, protests happen every single day in this country. I think that there are lots of people, you're right, that aren't going to the streets and are sitting at home feeling, gosh, what can I do? Um, yes. and, and if I'm not in a political party or I'm not in part of a protest movement, what can I do? And these are the questions that political leadership are supposed to be able to answer. Yeah. If indeed they do want to answer. We hope and pray. <laughs> now, let's take another call. Calling from Pretoria, Dumisho. Good evening. Evening, how are you? Fine, Dumisho. You? Um, well, my reason for not voting is as a youth, I applied for this NYDA program. I've been doing that for so long. Yes. And I never got through. And worst part is that um, my idea is so somebody doing it because I've been submitting and submitting. It means because I'm not cater deployed or I'm not, I don't have connection in between, so I wouldn't have my business um, continued. And I think if we do business with government, but they don't pay us back. You'll wait two months, you'll wait, you'll wait six months. So why do I vote for the government that doesn't care about the people? Why, why don't you vote for the opposition then? I'm not sure if the opposition will be viva my service, but I'm still angry. They need to prove me otherwise that um, they can do better. But for now, why? Why? Why should I? What's the use? Okay. I mean, just on that point, by the way, uh, Google Leto on Thursday is going to host what's going to be a really interesting panel discussion with political parties about their policies for small business. Uh, there'll be a few entrepreneurs also joining uh, Google Leto to add some questions of their own. So please do tune in for that to me, Shaw, and, and maybe you'll get some sense of what different political parties are saying about your dilemma. Obviously, your dilemma is not just small business, but you're saying you're the victim of dishonesty and, 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 and unequal access to what should be a public resource. So uh, many layers to your question, but Google is going to do that on Thursday night, so don't miss it. Jeffrey's in Benoni. Hi. Hi, Jeffrey. I'm good and you, sir. Fine, thanks. Yes, uh, okay. I'm not sure whether I'm going to vote or not. Okay. What I'm saying is it depends on the queue. If the queue is long, I'm not going to wait for the queue. And the reason why, it seems like all these political uh, leaders, there are issues that they're running away from it, that we are facing in, in this country. Yeah. Like the issue of uh, foreigners, we are not saying we have to fight them, but they must come with a solution. And all of them seem like they're trying to push it away. I'll listen to the radio. Jeffrey, thanks. Calling from Benoni. Last caller, Lichlumela from the center of Joburg. Hi, Lichlumela. Hi. Um John, Hi. I just wanted to comment, uh, maybe take the conversation a little bit back to um, something that you guys um, spoke about earlier. Um, okay, first I'll answer your question. I'm going to vote. Mm -hmm. um, as I, I think it's important as a youth, and I am a youth and a millennial, <laughs> and I think um, what Paul brought up about um, not voting, it's, it's a, like on 
theoretically, it's a cute idea, I think, to to protest um, voting by, I mean, the political parties by not voting. But I think as South African youth, we cannot afford not to vote um, and not to participate. And I'm not, of course, I can hear what she's saying about um, it's not, voting is not the only way to participate, but um, I feel that it's important for us to strike um, strike from different directions and not just in one direction. Um, I think that's what she's also trying to say, but I think it is really important, especially because I don't think that when we, when we, when we don't vote, people will pay attention to that. It's not going to be, I don't think it will be as impactful. And I would rather um, have my own, like, I'd rather have it in my, in my own hands as, as, um, the results of the election. Lisa Romero, thanks. Calling in on 86 Pearl gets a bit of a blast on Twitter from Ulebo Geng, who says your guest is detached from reality. What would she replace democracy with? Fascism? Well, what, what would you replace it with? I mean, I don't think it's an either or, but um, yeah, she's wondering what your alternative is, if not this. Honestly, I don't have an alternative mm-hmm. um, from, I don't know of a system. I've never lived in a system outside of democracy. And so yes. it's hard to imagine an alternative that I've never experienced myself, right? So if I say, let's leave democracy out and let's go to a, I don't know, a, a dictatorship, right? Fascism. Yes. I've never lived under fascism. Mm. I can't tell you that that would be a good option and people would come at me with their own views on it. But what I can say is that this system in reality is not working and we have the the power to imagine better of this system. So for me, a democracy that works is one that includes young people, is one that places citizen needs above politician needs, is one that has actual methods for citizens to hold people accountable without fear, right? And so... That's not the kind of democracy we have right now. It's not fascist either. Right? Yes. Okay. And Tasneem, just a last thought on this election. I mean, you can have an election. Obviously, elections produce outcomes. Uh, somebody wins, somebody gets less votes. I would have thought you could also have very productive elections that bring to the fore important conversations, which if politicians are listening uh, uh, with a little bit more nuance, they'll say, OK, well, we won or we didn't win. But what we learned about our fellow citizens and what they want is X, Y and Z. Are we having a productive election? And if we're not, is it too late to have one? So I think this became a, a bit of a talking point in the 2016 elections. And yes. people said it was a referendum. I'm quoting here, a referendum on uh, President Zuma and his leadership. Right. And I think that was an interesting way to look at the results of that election. When it comes to this election, I think there's very little commitment from political parties to have substantive discussions around policy and politics in this election. I think what we've seen from political debates is that they're very surface level. Um, there's a lack of willingness to really, really engage. And I think that for me means that we aren't being as productive as we could be around this, in- this election, but also that we're not getting that back and forth on the big platforms between political parties and voters or citizens, right? So I think for me, there's something lacking there. Oh, you've got 29 days to put it right. It's not very much, uh, particularly if you're trying to deal with entrenched habits. Sizwe, just to give him the final word on Twitter, takes an issue and frames it in, in, in an interesting way. Take a listen to this. The people who died, died so that we can choose whether to vote or not. 
people who choose not to vote are exercising their right. We'll talk about it again, but we have no more time tonight except to say thank you to Paul Pele, who joined us from Youth Lab and political analyst joining us from Wits University, Tasneem Esop. Thanks to both of you. It's been great chatting. Thanks, Thanks very much, John. John. That's it from me, John Pullman. Here's traffic. Nosipo Khadebe will give you the best way to get home. After that, uh, you'll be in the company of Sutu Mayer, who has a really interesting show about disciplining children. Then after that, Musiburi Whitehead on the home straight will be talking to a Comrades Marathon legend. Don't miss that. Good night. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.